to 7th Level Bardcast. My name's Jason, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jared and Michael. We've been gaming together for several years in various RPGs. What we discovered from our hours at the table was how much we grew from that experience. Now we're here to share our unique perspective with all of you. Today we're going to cover the topic of rescuing a bad situation. Let's get into it. Hello everyone, we're back again. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the game getting into a bad situation and how to come out of that. Um, but as always, or as recently, <laughs> we're going to let Jared give us a, better phrase. <laughs> give us a uh, foundation for what we're going to talk about today. So without any further ado, I pass it to Jared. I feel like we've been using the word foundation too much. But it's a good word. Anyways, uh, today we're talking about rescuing bad situation, as Jason has so eloquently put. And that is what we're mainly going to be focusing on is when the mechanics or the GM make an error and you have to kind of get everything back on track in a natural fashion. We'll also be mentioning when a player or a character has a dispute. Those are two separate things. But we're probably not going to go too much into that. And we are going to avoid the more delicate or intense situations that we kind of covered a li- very vaguely or a little bit in episode 10. And we'll probably be going forth with that idea in the future. But this one is mainly going to be focusing on mechanics and that. Why are you both facing? <laughs> Did I say something nope. wrong? Uh, we're playing the game of distraction again. Oh, you guys really threw me off my game that time. I, no, I'm just glad that Jared never looked at the screen, because he might have lost it in the middle of that. <laughs> I looked over at the screen at the very end, and I just saw both of you with your your entire hands covering your face. I was very confused. So, unfortunately, um, I heard nothing of what Jared said. <laughs> <laughs> Want to pause it and I can send you the file no, real no, quick? No, it's fine. I know, I know what you were getting at because, you know, we covered it beforehand. But So, when you're trying to rescue that bad situation, I think, for me, I broke it down into three different categories. But I think that only covers the surface of where you could go with that. I think, Jared, I have to ask this. Did you talk about uncomfortability as far as... Um, people being upset. Okay. So I think, yeah, you can reference our episode 10 gives a really good breakdown of, of those sort of things. And that wasn't so anything I wanted to get too far into today. But You know the sad thing? I think that introductory ramble by me was one of my better ones. I actually stayed on topic. I covered all the things he wanted me to cover. I did a good job of it without getting lost in the weeds. I only made one really good distinction, which I think you would approve of, and that was that players and character dis- uh, disputes are two entirely separate things, whereas in your notes you only have them as one thing. But, you know, you didn't listen to any of it. So. I heard what you said, and I think no. that was a very good point. <laughs> perfectly timed. No, no. <laughs> Michael, I heard what you said, and I... <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, that's getting left in. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is they're put together, but they're not written as the same thing. It was just one category. They're under it. They are two different things. 
Anyway. There we go, putting one word together, and now it means the exact same thing to Jared. (laughs) No, you made a a very basic mistake, Jason, and that was that I actually read and comprehend your notes. It's no on both accounts. But, you know, please continue. So I want to um, get us back on track here by talking about the first thing that comes to my mind, which is a mechanical failure that might lead to a bad situation. In this bad situation, we're talking about the mechanics kind of forcing the narrative to either come to a a dead end or to a very bad place. Uh, And some of the tools that people might use to pull themselves away from that is, okay, so you rolled... And you failed at that critical moment and the NPC has the advantage on you to the point that he can end the character's life. And a GM might think about a deus ex machina situation or mechanic that might come in and swoop in and save the character. I think that there is a different way of handling it rather than saving the character outright, but giving them a consequence to the failure without ending the character. So, for example, there have been situations in uh, my Five Aces game, for example, that characters went off in a a situation or a direction unexpectedly, and the mechanics, I thought, were going to help bring them back away from that. But in essence, what it did, it, it... it basically limited their options of saving themselves. And so the mechanics had to be essentially set to the side if I wanted to rescue the situation. So my first thinking is that as a GM, you should look at if you feel like a mechanic is failing you and it's forcing you into a situation, maybe that's a moment when you improv and you remove that mechanic from making all the decisions for you. Allow the the narrative to tell the story rather than a mechanic to tell the story. So um, that's kind of my first thought of how to rescue a bad situation based off of mechanical failure is remove it and allow the narrative to change things or fix things or correct your bad decision or the player's bad decision. Uh, Jared? Mine is very similar. Uh, the first thing I think of is when I think of mechanical failure as when somebody tries to do something and even though you very much want it to happen or you know that you can't allow it to happen, you still offer them the chance to roll and then they get something very high or very low and they feel like they either didn't make it or shouldn't have made it or then that they should have made it and it just it creates an awkward atmosphere. Uh, I believe we touched on this in narration of roles, and I very much... I forget what I said exactly in there, but I've always been a practitioner of don't let yourself be tied to the rules and the roles. If you have somebody roll for something, make sure that you're okay with the results of the roll. If you don't want them to succeed, or you know it's impossible for them to succeed, then 
be aware of that and either don't have them roll or have them roll and give them a different benefit than what they were expecting. Um, that's also a very good way of saving a mechanical failure of that type that Michael also brought up his okay, uh, the big bad swung its sword and has every right to kill the player character. But you don't feel like that would be very narratively climactic or very useful for the story or fun. So you can instead have them be hamstrung and then for the rest of the character's life, you know, they can't walk as well. They they suffer a major restriction because that's what the dice had them have. But you don't have to outright kill them. And it might inspire other things like, hey, uh, I've heard tales of somebody losing a leg and then they played a different character but that character in the party actually went on a side quest that took them three months of session times to go and find somebody who could regrow their leg for them so they could play their original character again, or at least in the full capacity of that character. So there's a lot of nuances and ways you can spin the story and the narrative to get around those mechanical failures, and you just have to be willing to in the moment, go with them. Yeah, I, th I think there's something that you both touched in on, which is, um, you know, when you're having a mechanical failure, use that narrative to bail you out, because narrative moves forward the scene or the, you know, situation that's happening without using any mechanics. That's what the narrative's there for. One of the things that I didn't hear either one of you say that actually I've come into a problem with is that uh, there may be a flaw in the game design. You know, you can play test these things out as much as you want, but each situation is different and you may end up coming into a scenario where a mechanic wasn't set up for that situation and it doesn't resolve it the way that you think it will. And so when the mechanics break down like that or, you know, even maybe not even a breakdown, it might just be a lack of understanding of how that mechanic works. I find that, you know, kind of backtracking the situation messes with the immersion. So if that's the situation, then I think going forward, you can give a mechanical benefit to the person who may have been wronged by a problem in the mechanics. So that was a mechanic solved with a mechanic, but I think that one is more, you know, something that neither party expected. And um, so I think, you know, you can use the mechanics to save the mechanics, but I think the best option is to use the narrative. So, But I don't like the idea of backtracking and taking it back if you don't have to. I would also like to say that while you can backtrack a very small amount of time, uh, and by time I mean time at the table... Uh, the more time at the table is invested, the worse the outcome for backtracking is, in my opinion. It's not really related to game time. But if you ever backtrack anything more than maybe half a minute or a minute at the table, it's much more likely just to aggravate the situation rather than s fix it. Uh, it's not just about immersion. Uh, it's very much emotions at that point and uh mechanics and it can just 
it, to retrograde everything that's happened. It can be very messy, and it's just best to just cleanly cut off the situation in one way or another. Whether that means just destroying it and turning the focus somewhere else, or if it means just giving somebody a benefit or a negative, depending on what happened mechanically, it's, it's best to just try and move forward in one direction. Yeah, because I think what you don't want to end up with is a situation where the mechanics force you into a total party kill or a destruction of your narrative. And so you don't want to retcon anything that's going to destroy the consistency of your setting or the, the way you tell the story. So I think those are, those are important points when it comes to how you see the, the mechanical failure and the bad situation and avoiding those things so that you can rescue it and, and pull it out so that your narration and your story stay consistent. Yeah, I think that covers a mechanical failure pretty well. <laughs> I think uh, Michael gave a good example on there, and um, I think we both covered, you know, I mean, all three of us covered uh, the information pretty well. So, GM error. I want to talk about this one because this is a problem that I have personally because I am not the type of person that remembers a whole lot of rules. Uh, if I was to have a co-GM, I would definitely want a co-GM that would be sitting there and taking care of rules for me because I'm just not, I'm not going to memorize the rules because they're not really important to me. Just like, you know, I've talked about before with my setting where it's like, I don't have a whole lot of things set into stone because I'm kind of improvising a lot as I go. So I don't describe it very well. I do the same thing with rules. I don't have a whole lot of them set in my head. So there are times when a scene is carrying forward and I've misunderstood a rule and I, you know, a player may end up in a bad situation because of my lack of understanding or remembrance of a rule. And in that same case, I'm going to give them some sort of mechanical benefit or a narrative benefit where um, I'm going to give them the benefit of my mistake. And so they get to carry forward with uh, into a better situation than uh, it could have ended up with if I, you know, let them just carry forward using my mistake to get them into that situation. So that for me is like the uh, GM error coming into play and making a bad situation. What about you guys? Uh, that was a very interesting way of looking at it. I didn't realize that you you thought that way because I, I've, I understand that there's mechanics and rules that you don't want to memorize or don't want or, or, or can't memorize or they're just not important. But the way you run a game... You're not dependent on those things. So I've never really felt like that aspect has come across in the games that I've played with you that um, they have an effect and that you need to rescue a situation. Although I can understand that sometimes a mechanic might be necessary and you don't remember it. But any game that I've, I've ever played in, I haven't seen 
what you're talking about from you. So maybe I'm just uh, lost in the narrative and I didn't realize it was going on. Well, if it's not breaking the immersion, then I guess I shouldn't be too worried about it. But I think mostly what it comes down to me for me is a lot of times I'll call for a rule. And to me, that, you know, is breaking the immersion. It may not be necessarily leading to a bad situation, but um, I think it annoys me when I have to call for a rule because I can't think of a way to move something forward. But a lot of times, yeah, I'll just move something forward and make up a rule if I want to. Like, uh, I try often to just... The thing is, is I'll use rules from other games just to move something forward so that, you know, it's like, you know what? I know how to solve this situation. Let's just do this. But yeah, I, I think I used it. Um, I use my improv to glaze over things really easy, but I think I'm always worried about whether or not I'm um, getting things into a bad situation, but not knowing exactly what the rules are for things. Jared? Uh, I am in the same boat because my memory is shite. So I cannot remember the majority of rules and when I mistake them I usually give my players the benefit uh, much like he said uh, just because I feel like that's it's the best way of going about it usually because even if I give them a benefit if I need the situation to be tense then I as the GM make it tense through other measures so the benefits that I hand out are kind of meaningless in a way. <laughs> and it smooths over the feelings. So that's basically the same way I go about it. My bigger one with GM error is, uh, as we talked about last time, uh, player narrative. The player tells me what they intend to do. I take it. I run with it. Then I turn it back to the player and I go, was that fine? And normally, like I said last time, it is fine. However, there have been times when I have done that, and they flat out told me that's not what they intended at all. And then I have to cut off everything I just said and restate it in another way, or ask them for more information, and, you know... That is also a GM error of me not understanding the player's intention. And, uh, it's something you have to watch out for. Um, there is actually one more that I can think of that isn't either of those. Before so. you go on, I just have to make a, a point here. Am, am I playing in your games where you have forgotten a rule? Am, am I there? or Is this something that I've just completely yes. missed? Because as a player, I can't think of a moment that you have forgotten some minute detail in a rule on page 310 in a book that I read three or four years ago, you can quote rules out of the book. How, how, hey, are, where in the hell am I where these games have happened? Uh, well, there's two things that you don't realize, Michael. One is that I always have the book open, and before I bring up any rules uh, to the group, I usually have already flipped to that page. Two, anytime anyone casts a spell, what do I do? I ask them to read the spell off to me because I don't remember any of the spells. But that is not, in my mind, an error. That, in my mind, is... Uh, is true. If I haven't noticed it, I am either really failing my perception check 
on on you, but it is that you have flowed into the narrative without a pause. And again, as I said with Jason, I'm, I must be playing it <laughs> because I don't see that. I, I And I'm not just saying that. I don't see that just, either of you. I think that you can, if you missed a my, rule, you flow right into the narrative. What? I just want to say, Michael, that's an insight check and not a perception one. I didn't even um, know. <laughs> a perception <laughs> check would be noticing that you're have you have the book open and reading the rule before you well that's a perception check insight would be sure. uh, uh being able to read your emotions which is uh i i have a minus i have a disadvantage and a minus on that one with you because <laughs> i i don't want to dive into your any insight into your brain i just don't believe in that <laughs> Here I was thinking you were just gonna say that your thought is you, you, the way your your thinking is just so different, and go on to that you know tripe that we like to push on this podcast about uh, all three ways of thinking help us you know somehow reach more of our audience. But no, you just went straight to the your mind is disgusting and disturbing, and I don't. I, no, go no, into I wouldn't it. call it dis- disgusting. I would say disturbed. Yes, but I I can't really say that yours is disturbed without acknowledging that mine is just as disturbed as Jason's because Jason's uh, he tops me in disturbance inside his head, which is why I don't even want to look in there. If I ever develop telepathy, <laughs> I'm going to have a block for Jason's thoughts. It'll just, I telepathy is like the worst power. No, I would love it, but I wouldn't want to read. I wouldn't even want to go to Jason's surface thoughts. Um, that's funny. I was actually thinking about that when we were talking about session prep. Uh, I never brought it up. I had thought about it beforehand is, uh, having session or having surface thoughts prepped. If you know that you're going to be playing in a game where people have the telepathy, because (laughs) I can't tell you how many times Michael would have it and be like, Oh, what is this guy's surface thoughts? And I'm like, I have no idea. This is some rando that I have no clue on. I don't know what his surface thoughts are. So then from then on, I started prepping surface thoughts all the time. <laughs> Jason, uh, in my game, I gave Michael a medallion of thoughts. Or medallion of reading Detect thoughts, thoughts, or whatever the yes. fuck it is called. Detect thoughts. Yeah, That was a mistake. He uses that stuff a lot. Also, he walked into a wizard's tower and then used detect magic 24-7. <laughs> and was constantly asking me, Oh, what is this literal archmage have imbued on his walls? Okay, well, there's seven out of the nine schools of magic there that you can detect. Um, let me see. How are they impacting oh this God. world? <laughs> the fucking questions uh, because he Because I want insight into your world. Yes. It's better that's, that's your fine. world than your mind. But, you know. So, Jared, before I go into my other example that I had, what was yours... Uh, the final thing I wanted to say is another GM error, and I'm not sure if this falls into a uh, mechanical or narrative or whatnot, but I know I've done this specifically with one of our players where uh, I asked a question to the group and then I moved on very quickly without paying any attention. And that upset one of the players because they were planning on doing something and I had skipped over them. Uh, I probably had done it a few times because she doesn't like to speak up, so... <laughs> 
uh, for her to actually interrupt the game like that was unusual, and I did feel very bad about it. And that also kind of goes into the temp- tenth episode stuff that we weren't going to focus too much on, but I wanted to bring it up as when a player has a negative reaction to something you have done or a social slight you have committed, the best way to rescue that is to acknowledge it happened, ask for more information, or ask to have a conversation afterward, and then go back into the gameplay with a focus on whatever that player was interested in doing, because you usually cut off at that point if it's somebody else and you focus back on them. But I wanted to bring that up real quick because it was an important thing to me for some reason. Thank you. Michael? Oh, I was just saying thank you. I, I appreciate that he acknowledged that he didn't listen to me. I was talking about somebody else. Oh, my mistake. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said she in there. That's why I was like, did he say him? <laughs> okay. Um, no, it's 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 that uh, thing where Jared doesn't listen to a word I say. Uh, so I was just playing off of that. Now, I... Jason, are you going to keep going at any time? Oh, this dead air is getting kind of <laughs> sad. Uh, wow, you're nice going to say that nice to the track. editor. The editor will delete your entire track. <laughs> <laughs> one day that thread is going to anyway, mean something. I actually had one other, and this is another one that I feel like I do. And <laughs> I'm sure you'll be like, no, I've never noticed. But the uh, introducing... Well, actually, I've had players come back at me with it where it's like i introduce uh maybe something to the setting or something to the plot line that isn't consistent with the rest of the story and so it creates a situation where players get confused that's why i would call it a bad situation is the players are confused as to why things are happening or my lack of description of a setting has caused confusion because you know, we actually had this with Jared and the boat because I had a very clear picture of what the dock looked like. I kept saying dock. And so Jared, in his mind, I'm sure, saw a regular dock. Well, these this is a canal system, so the docks are like uh, these pieces of stone and then everything from there is a cliff until it gets down to the water so the there between the top of the boat and the water there's a large gap of space and so uh i didn't explain that properly uh is what happened so i thought it was a regular yeah, wooden exactly. dock so in that situation i think i've i've given a bad description, or I've introduced something that didn't uh, flow with the consistency of something. In those situations, then I need to uh, be clear. I need to step in and ask the players what they're seeing and maybe change my uh, scenario to reflect what they're seeing instead of trying to push what I'm seeing onto them, especially if it's confusing to them or inconsistent. But any thoughts on that? Actually, in that exact example you used, it was a very simple th- fix where you told me it was a stone dock. And I was like, wait, what? And you explained what it was. And then we moved on. It j- changed my plans a bit, but 
once we had uh, reconciled our descriptors of the landscape, it was perfectly fine. So, no need to worry. I hate to be the one that says this, but that is one of the biggest things that a GM can grapple with is confusion with the players and an element of inconsistency in in the setting or the story. At, personally, I have had moments where I reflect back and go, oh, I told them that this was a an outfit with green and yellow when I really meant for it to be red and black. Now, that sounds like a, a simple thing, but it's not, it's not when you think about a setting where a uniform's color or their outfit is based off of a color pertaining to a, a family or a clan in in a setting where colors are identifiers. And if I made that mistake once, I have to do something to either tell them that I made a mistake and actually this is red and black, not green and yellow. So I think what you're talking about, that is a fine example of of, of an error. But I, th- I also believe that you... I, Jared, those are things that we, when we communicate with the players and explain it, we can easily fix the confusion with just a small explanation. And sometimes it, uh, it's something you have to go back and change from you know, a session or two before. Names of NPCs are also something that I, uh, I'm really bad at because... I'll name that blacksmith Joe the blacksmith, and next time they come across, I'll go, yeah, you met him before. His name is Jack, uh, and I've screwed up. So keeping notes on those and keeping that consistency helps with player confusion. Also, just to give you an idea of how badly Michael screwed up when he uh, says the wrong colors, to think of it in medieval terms, it's like getting the uh, crest of a family wrong. <laughs> And Michael has proceeded to flip me off. Okay. That's all I have, wanted from that. You didn't have to go That's in there. Oh, it's, it's it's the worst thing ever. And no, I don't even remember when that happened. I'll be honest. I feel like it was an example from Michael utterly and completely ruined my immersion. I went home and cried that day. <laughs> uh. No, no, I just you know, I used a family dog as a punching bag, and I was okay. Peter's going to be honest for that one. Jared, I would like y- yes, you Jason? to take this last one because you uh, want to split it, and apparently I did not split it. So why don't you... Well, I wouldn't know, Jason. I haven't read your notes. The last topic that we have in our notes, which I refuse to read, is player slash character disputes. That is literally how it's written. And thus, I took it to mean as one coherent category. I believe it should be two different categories, and nobody's giving me a no sign yet, and I was really expecting that by now, but I guess I'll be serious, I guess, because nobody's ending it, my fun. It can be two different things, and I wrote it as it could be, but it also can be tied together, and that's why I put it in the same one, because... A character dispute can lead to a player dispute because we've had that happen. So, 
Yes, but that's childish players. Uh, that's a nice big old blanket statement to just cover yourself uh, at night. Yeah, with. and you'll freeze to death um, if you cover yourself with that one. No, no, the hatred will keep me warm. Player disputes are fairly obvious. They're disputes between players, maybe disputes between the GM and the player. That is, you. it can be about the characters, as Jason just said. However, it is not an in-character dispute, and thus rescuing the situation is going to be different. The second half will be character disputes. These will mostly, and hopefully only, be in-character between two characters, and thus will require different skills and finesse than if it was between players. For players, uh, during player disputes, I pretty much uh, treat them like children, separate them, and then tell them how it's going to be because I'm the big bad GM. And then I take full responsibility for it, and that's basically the only way I really handle most uh, serious player disputes. If it's something less serious, then I will usually allow them to dispute between each other, and if I need to step in, I will try to guide it into a compromise, or I will try to uh, side with whoever I believe is correct narratively. I don't really know how much more to go into that. It's an uncomfortable topic, really, in my opinion, but that's how I generally deal with it. I, ha I haven't actually had to deal with it very much. I've been very lucky in that fashion. Have either have you have either of you seen me referee a player dispute? Because I actually don't think I've ever done one in this group. I'm pretty sure I've never played in one of your games. Yeah, but I mean, I've played in yours. So. I don't think we've had any player disputes. I think we've had lots of character disputes, which oh, which ridiculous amounts. Sometimes, of them. for some reason, spill over into player disputes. But usually those become conversations that the players have and they get resolved or, you know, people decide that they don't want to play in the game anymore. And that's that's on them. That's their choice. I think that yeah. you, if you have as a GM the ability to foresee that, that somebody's having a problem with another player, you might be able to have a conversation before it erupts into player versus player where you've you you have a conversation with both of them separately and say, hey, I noticed that uh, you obligatory uh, talk about Gary moment and I wanted to know what was wrong. And the player explains the situation and then you go to uh, the other player and ask them if they're having a problem and diffuse it before you get to that moment. But that is sometimes difficult because some players are completely oblivious to the other player being upset then you've you've created a dispute between the two players that wasn't there before so that one you have to be careful but if you have a little bit of foresight or you can anticipate some things you might be able to diffuse it with uh you know some conversation but i don't we've been lucky that we've had very few issues when it comes to player versus player I have a question. I have an answer. Michael, we shall use this as, uh, without going into any details, do you think example B would follow under, would fold underneath this? Because 
I was kind of treating it as it wouldn't. Example B? What was example A? I mean... Okay, well, we're going to have to cut this part because I'm actually going to name a name now. Okay. You feel that maybe you should have seen it before it got to that point? No, I was wondering if that was a player dispute because I wasn't treating it as he, a player dispute. But I was thinking this individual was. kind of created it as a player dispute. He, the other player, didn't have any problem with it, and he kind of created it because he felt that he needed to be the center of all attention, and he was not. And he thought that he should be able to control the entire. PC party in all decisions, and then that went over into players, and he was trying to control players and what they were doing. That situation kind of snowballed into what happened at the end, which was a huge conflict between you as the GM and he as the player. And so, I yeah, which is why I was treating it as not yeah. a dispute. It's more of a a GM player dispute. Yeah, that would be something that would probably go into a future episode 10 or something like that, not this one. Also, I feel like we're going to be cutting the last two minutes. No, I think it's worth talking about. I think in the situation that we're covering, I don't think it really falls into rescuing a bad situation. That's more, you know moderating outside the game that's your social okay. contract that's um some stuff even that even goes beyond social contract that's dealing with tr problem players or uh uh group disputes or something along those lines something we'll have to cover later but i definitely think it's okay. not because uh, i think we're looking at more like a bad situation in the game and so i think you know i brought up player versus or player um, disputes, but I think it was more uh, along the lines of a dispute about the narrative or something along those lines. I think player dispute is still apt. I just think it's it's much more based about in session where the things that I was considering, which like I said, originally I wasn't considering it a player dispute, but I thought I would ask Michael for some reassurance, is a lot of that happened outside of a session. So there was no need to rescue that situation, kind of. So this is more about being in session and solving the problem quickly and moving on. Yeah, I... Th yeah. Fair. And I think you're you're correct uh, with that situation. It, it started as a player having issue with everybody. And then it evolved into having a, a, an issue with just the GM and then the power-hungry man that had to thwart him from all of his complaints. Huh? I was really trying not to get too specific, <laughs> just in case. No, it's know. fine. I think what we can get out of this discussion is when it comes to player versus player resolution of mechanics or narrative, I think that's where you can, as a GM salvage uh, the situation and have a conversation about, okay, well, there's some conflict here with the way you think the, the resolution should happen. However, we need to pause the game and immersion's going to disappear 
And so to avoid that, I ask both of you to find a resolution in the game so that we don't have to pull ourselves out of it. Find a way to stay immersed in the in the narrative and work it out as characters rather than, you know, yelling, screaming at each other. And if that doesn't work, then you can go to the adult conversation away from the table. I do want to put something in on that, though, because if the situation escalated from your characters having a problem into the uh, players having a problem, I think that is a good time to stop the game and stop the immersion and take a break because it will stop that escalation. It's a time to pause, you know, when you're when you're in an argument and if you walk away from each other and then you come back, you can look on that argument with like, oh, that was kind of stupid. Rather than if you continue to let those emotions escalate, sometimes they can get overbearing. Um, so I think it depends on if it's a player dispute and then, you know, you're able to carry it forward as characters without creating any more uh, tension, then I think, yeah, you can, let's get this back into the immersion. But I think if it started as a character dispute and then spilled into the players, so if they go back into that, it's going to start that argument back over again. I think that's when you can just say, hey, let's stop, let's take a break real quick. And But that's my opinion on that. No, I think you're right on that one. Um, you don't want it to escalate to the point that it just disrupts the entire evening and destroys everything happening for the other players because as much as we like to explain these things there are moments when we kind of forget the other players that are sitting there watching this from the sidelines they want to have fun and they don't want their evening ruined yeah go ahead jared i would like to move on to uh character disputes then because uh this topic's getting a bit too heavy (laughs) who started that really Uh, who who brought that up i did I did, and now you're continuing. I, I'm having a problem you with you right now. you to say for yourself, Michael? Because I have plenty of things to say to you, Bring Michael. Bring it on. So, let's move on to Fuckface 2, Electric Boogaloo. I think How I are you referencing a Damn movie it. that you've never seen? <laughs> it's so bad that I didn't even know that was a reference to a movie. <laughs> That's a movie from the 80s. It's you a popular were, culture even, thing you now. Were, you weren't even around in the 80s. Anyways, character disputes. Uh... In character disputes, I feel are actually wonderful things. Uh, as we said earlier, we have tons of them, and this is mainly my fault. I'm gonna be straight up honest with that one. I like to play characters that stress the emotional or physical ties of the other characters, and just always push their morality or push their opinions or just kind of press their buttons, and. I think it's fun and it adds a lot of personality to the game. And uh, most of the time, the way these are resolved are literally end game. I, it's very rare for any of our games to, like we said, escalate into player disputes. And we solve them via the narrative of the game. If I try to enforce my opinion on somebody, they can either... Ex- uh, agree with me and start like moving their character's opinion towards mine. They could lie to my face about agreeing with me. They could uh, start a fight and then we go into combat if there is player versus player combat. 
And this isn't the player versus player that we were talking about earlier. This is purely uh, character-driven, narrative-driven player versus player. And I think that's really great. And I really enjoy it. But if you don't, then the simplest way of getting around it is to ensure that there is never uh, player versus player mechanics. I know some games really go hard and don't allow that. And there's uh, it basically forces you to talk out all your differences in character. And some people prefer that. Uh, some people also prefer just to have actual limits, and this is where that X code we talked about in session 10 would come into play, or the characters themselves could just flat out deny the other person's character. There's a lot of easy and natural ways to go about it. Jared, I'm gonna... In the rare I'm cases... I'm gonna cut you off, because uh, you're rambling. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just not so deep. No, I just I, I just mean, wanted I to throw a point into something. there. And one of the things, like, the main point I wanted to get across in this is... Uh, so, I'm going to go back to Bleak Rising. Uh, uh, what I'm going to mention is that we we created a, um in-game dispute that we have with your character. All three of us have a dispute with you. Oh, and yeah. we created that as part of the game going forward. So I don't think that creates a bad situation. What this, what I think character disputes is, is when it takes up the entirety of a game session if you let it. So if we were to have an argument and the GM didn't step in to, to move gameplay forward, we could be arguing and, you know, just escalating situation. We might not actually be arguing with each other as players, but in character, we're arguing with each other, and no gameplay is carrying forward. That, to me, is when I feel like it becomes a bad situation. But character disputes in well, that's general... that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> don't, I don't think are a problem. Uh, that's actually funny, because I was going to mention that, and my direct response to that is, just like when we have entire sessions that are about going to the marketplace and shopping, I actually enjoy those little slice-of-life things. The character disputes, I don't feel, ruin the game or drag out the game. I feel like it's just another way of role-playing, and that's what we're at the table to do. So Yeah, but if you spend two to three hours arguing over something and it becomes like a domination of the game, I think that becomes a problem. And I, that's where I disagree. There is an agreement uh, that no, we can no, find think on Think about here. this, Jared. Let's so, think about it in this terms. <laughs> what about the person that we were just talking about taking over a session and nobody else gets to do anything because their argument has become the focus of what's going on. That is a problem because they're taking over the game because they want to have this dispute. So if it's taking away from other people's gameplay, I think it is a problem. If you hadn't interrupted me, Jason, do you know what I was going to move on to next? (laughs) Uh, In the cases of where if the players are not enjoying their aspect of the character's slice of life, for example, two people arguing and one player not really in it or enjoying the session, however, they're not going to stop arguing because that's what their character would do, then it is the time for the play- uh, the GM to step in and to move along the session because that is the point of the session, for people that have fun and enjoy it. 
if everyone's okay with having two argue, characters argue for the entire session, that's not a problem. But if you're spending a session deciding who does the dishes, and nobody's really enjoying that conversation, but you're all too stubborn, and your characters are too stubborn to stop, then somebody has to be the adult and come in and go, hey, we need to move on to something that we're going to have fun with. I, I just want to tell you that I feel attacked by that statement. You were meant it's to. Really, I feel like... It's really easy. The the crackheads do the dishes. I feel like that was, in my opinion, one of the best sessions that I have ever run. Because it allowed the players to have that moment that set the tone for the entire chapter of that campaign. The the conflict between Val's character and Jason's character established something that I could not have written nor expected. And the squabble over who was doing the dishes actually advanced the narrative because Jason went and collected some bums, some crackheads, to come do the dishes for them. And that set in motion all kinds of things. It also put Val on the path to be hyper uh, uh, focused on who was coming into the house and the paranoia that she was living in in that game. So I, so I have a question. And did your players enjoy that argument in that session? I felt like everybody did. Because then you're good. Here's here's the other side of that, and and that and that's the other two players at the table, who were witnessing this. At one point, Becky got involved and she left the house because she was so angry, in character with Val, <laughs> that she left. Kit's character also vacated the area because he had. He had decided he wasn't going to deal with that paranoia or the agitation that Jason's character was bringing to the to the the scene. So it motivated Becky to run into a problem and Kit to run into a problem and my narrative actually moved forward even though there was this conflict between two characters. But that again just kind of encapsulate what me and Jason were talking about. When people are enjoying the moment, when people are having fun, whether it's uh, character disputes or talking about movies, it's fine. That's what we're there to do. We're there to enjoy ourselves. However, when it starts causing problems, like Jason said earlier, somebody's showboating or hogging or generally leaving bad feelings with other players or perhaps even the GM then it's time to kind of shove the narrative along in some way or fashion. And that, of course, falls on the game monitor. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I think that there's a moment when you say, okay, that's that's enough. Or you interject with something like, I could have said, all right, you guys are having this conversation, and a guy bursts into the room with a handgun. The conflict mm-hmm. is dissolved at that moment because now the conflict has gone on to an NPC that... I've just randomly introduced. So, I mean, there are ways to kind of diffuse the situation, but I I think that it's, you're saying, if it's going on too long, you have to know that right moment to step in. You think that's fair, Jason? Yeah, no, I I didn't, 
I don't want to say that I disagreed with you. I just, like, those situations where everybody's having fun, that doesn't really matter to this conversation because we're talking about rescuing a bad situation. So I was just trying to get at what the bad situation was from that so that we could say, okay, well, when that situation happens, then we're going to step in and rescue that situation. And that's why I started out with the good situation because I wanted to give... A lot of one, I wanted to start move off of the negativity we were already on, and two, I wanted to show that just because there is a character dispute doesn't mean solve it. Uh, you have to know when to solve it, how to solve it, and it's not going to be an easy thing. But generally, you can entrust it to the narrative. Also, if all else fails, just throw some danger at someone. <laughs> yeah, handgun. There's a handgun in the room! <laughs> Those crackheads are going to sell all your secrets. <laughs> There's a floating gun in the middle of the room. It goes off. Or just put an item in the library that has a mystery around it, and that'll focus somebody on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh... So, on topic, because we're all running out of time. Well, not really, but, you know. We like to keep these things about an hour and uh, an hour and ten. Uh, do you think there's anything more to add, or do you think we covered the majority of character disputes, Jason and Michael? So, real quick, I'll just add my two cents. That is everything that I could think of, so I don't have anything else to add to that. So I was going to ask you guys that question anyway, so... Yeah, it, I, it's very rare for me to do that, and I just, you know, I feel ill. You feel <laughs> ill because you asked a question? Yeah, it's upside my stomach. Okay, well, I think on that note, we can start to wrap up, uh, because I, for one, do not want to uh, witness anybody being ill on this podcast. So, I think overall, a bad situation can be something that we all gamers will experience in one fashion or another. Whether it's a mechanical failure, or it's uh, a GM error, or it's a dispute at the table. One of the things that has to be our focus is that uh, idea that we have, which is the shared narrative, and making sure that every player that comes to the table is part of that in a fun, enjoyable way. We do not want to lose a player in the moment of having fun at the game because there is a, a GM error or a, a, a mechanical failure or another players just forcing their character to do things they're not prepared for we want to avoid those bad situations however possible to make it an enjoyable situation and i think we've covered some good uh, advice on how to avoid each one of those things and fairly good examples of how you can make a bad situation into a better shared narrative. It can go a long way with not breaking immersion. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. I think uh, all of us, and like Michael said, I think we had some great examples. So I feel like we went off the deep end, but you know, <laughs> that's kind of usual. No, I think we covered it well, but that's fine. Um, this is where anyway, I'll be. Thank you all for joining. This is us. where I'll be responding to empty <laughs> air on Jared's part. Hey. I'm just saying, uh, we all could use a little bit of sleep. Ah, uh, that's for sure. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, we will see you or 
talk at you later. <laughs> and uh, everybody have a great night. Uh, this has been Jason. This has been Michael. Was that the first time we wished our viewers a good night? Because that's no. kind of sad. Okay. No. Anyways, this has been Jared. Bye-bye. This has been a production of 7th Level Bardcast. Copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to 7th Level Bardcast. You can find links to previous shows, resources, and our social media at 7thLevelBardcast.com. Also, through our Discord link on the website, we invite our audience to join us to offer feedback or suggest a topic or for a quick conversation. If you wish to support the show, like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. Music provided by Arthur Venke. Music provided by Arthur Venke.